Today on Ag News Daily. So Cattlemen's Heritage at its core is the thought of it's a partnership with the producer. We don't want to be just another packer. We don't want to behave like the packers of the past have. I think the system's a little broken right now. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined once again by Tanner Winterhoff. Tanner, how you doing this morning? Good. Starting to get back into that routine. You know, it's always the joke. You need a vacation from your vacation. I know. Uh, it was, I slept hard last night. It's nice getting a good night's rest. Did you not sleep well on vacation? You know, I just, two young children and different qualities of beds. Uh, I prefer my own where there's no children in my bed. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That uh, definitely would impact your quality of sleeping. Yeah, but I think I brought some of the vacation weather back with us to Iowa. We were nice and cool yesterday. We had a high, I think, in the low 70s, and today is going to be pushing the upper 70s. So good, good weather. My favorite season's fall, and it's starting to tease me a little bit. It is. You're right, Tanner. But even with that being said, we still saw a slight drop in crop condition ratings since last week was a little bit of a doozy. We saw in the top 18 growing corn states that crop conditions dropped 1% from the week prior, now rated 57% good to excellence, with about uh, 94% of the corn silking which is slightly behind the five-year average. Typically, we're about 97% silking for this time of year, Tanner. On the soybean side of things, soybeans are at 58% good to excellence, also a 1% drop from last year. But soybean settings pods are at 74% across the top 18 growing soybean states. And spring wheat harvest is also in full swing at 16% harvested across the country, slightly behind the five-year average of 19%. And spring wheat conditions rated 64% good to excellent, which is unchanged from last week. Yeah, I saw that same news. It's quite interesting to see that the winter wheat progress is about wrapped up. Uh, stating that the states of Idaho, Washington, and Montana are all behind their five-year average of getting that crop combined and into the marketplace. So uh, good to see. We talked all year long, Delaney, about how the delayed crop planning in the Midwest, the Corn Belt, if you say, was behind schedule, and we have yet to really catch up. Getting closer, but then again, we're also getting closer to the end of the growing year. So we had talked a lot about the report that came out last week. Uh, The August crop production report was also recently released by the USDA, but it included forecasts for hay production. We hadn't hit on this yet, so I want to make sure our listeners knew that total hay production is down. The production of alfalfa for 2022 is forecasted at 49.1 million tons. That's down 3% from 2021 levels and 13.6% below the 10-year average from 2021 to 20 or 2011 to 2020. All other hay production for 2022 is forecasted at 67.7 million tons. That's down 4.6% year over year and 7.4% from the 10-year average. So 
overall, not a uh, good look, good outlook for hay production. Hay prices are probably forecasted to stay at record levels again. Drought is the main reason for reduction for hay production in 2022. It was also the same reason for 2021. According to May 1 hay stocks report, they were down 7% year over year and are down nearly 17% Delaney compared to the 10 year average. So a squeeze on the hay market is probably going to keep prices at a 10 year high. Xander, speaking of drought, a severe drought is beginning to magnify Europe's economic risks and is disrupting crop yields, energy production, and trade when obviously those are already issues that were being faced without the added stress of drought. Uh, they are suggesting, the European Commission, I should say, estimated in July that nearly half of the EU and a large part of the United Kingdom are experiencing warning levels of drought with unusually dry conditions set to persist through September. They're saying water shortages are particularly severe in the northern Italian lowlands, central Germany, eastern Hungary, northern Spain, as well as the southern, central, and western regions of France, Portugal, and the Netherlands. So quite a few of the EU countries are facing some sort of severe drought at this point in time and could impact or will impact crops such as sunflower production, wheat production, uh, even dairy production. They're saying there may not be enough available forage for dairy cattle across those countries as well, Tanner. So certainly something to keep an eye on here as we head into our harvest season to see just what the crop looks like. Yeah, you, you've got a good point. It's not just happening here locally within our own borders. And another thing that is drawing news headlines is the heightened tensions between China and the United States <clears throat> and its allies over the Taiwan demonstrations. And the European nations are now moving power quickly to that region to help potentially stifle any disagreement. So a group of German Air Force fighter jets neared Singapore on Tuesday in a marathon bid to fly 8,000 miles from their home base to Southeast Asia in just 24 hours. So this exercise comes at the height of these tensions. The European Union is unveiling a new strategy that they are planning to boost in September for political and defense ties in the Indo-Pacific region. German Defense Minister Christine told reporters that despite the war in Ukraine being a priority, the Eurofighter mission underscores that Asia is not going to be forgotten and neither are our allies. So if you think about that, Delaney, I, of course, the numbers guy, 8,000 miles in 24 hours. So these fighter jets are flying at an average of 330 miles an hour and they are being refueled on the go. But it is demonstrating that within one day, allies can receive support from the German Air Force. We are all on the side of those who stand for our values, such as democracy, freedom, security, and those willing to contribute. The defense minister said as aircraft took off from Newburgh, Germany on Monday to get to Singapore on Tuesday. So a little bit of airtime news to see if uh, we can help cool some of these tensions off that we've been reporting on earlier this week. Absolutely, Tanner. And as I want to get back to discussing trade here for a moment, because 
there's one trade deal that we've talked a little bit about on the podcast that could have uh, dire impacts on our ability to do business with other countries, and that's the Mercosur deal, which is set to resume talks after stalled agreements. This is a deal between the EU and Brazil, and they have begun to seek to rekindle negotiations with South America's Mercosur bloc after the agreement stalled, uh, according to two sources with direct knowledge to the matter. This comes amid rapid changes in global supply chains, and the EU is struggling or quickly scrambling, I should say, to find new people to do business with in the wake of potential devastation there from not just the Ukraine, but as I just mentioned, drought intensifying across much of the EU. So we haven't seen an official agreement drawn up. We've seen a proposed letter uh, kind of from both sides, but we've not seen anything official as of yet, Tanner. And so meeting is a new meeting is scheduled to take place at the end of September to outline further talks. Well, it's a start. Mm-hmm. We'll see where things unfold from there. But uh, always interesting when you see a letter as the first step forward of a conversation. Other farmers that are receiving letters are those that are currently under obligation of the farm credit system. So 2021 lending results are pushed out as well as earnings. But this article highlights here on young, beginning, and small farmer loans that balance increased in 2021. The dollar amount of the farm credit system loans outstanding system-wide, nationwide for young, beginning, and small farmers increased by 10.9%. The beginning farmer loans were the largest category. Uh, increasing by 18.1. Farm credit system defines young farmers as 35 years old or younger, beginning farmers as those who have been farming for 10 years or less, and small farmers with gross annual sales of less than 250000 Farm credit system is stating here that loans outstanding for their entire system only increased by 1.8%. So the number of loans increasing in the three categories as described being at 10.9 is certainly, uh, in my opinion, Delaney, a little bit alarming. So it's just demonstrating there that the cost of production has gone up for our listeners and those that need access to capital at least got access to it, but it seemed like in the form of additional borrowing. So just puts this crop year and this livestock year even more under the tensions of performance to make sure these loans get repaid. So it'll be interesting to see if there are any reports or any news headlines made about delinquency rates. But as of right now, we just know that more money is being borrowed by young farmers, beginning farmers, and small farmers than historically done in the past. Tanner, I noticed yesterday on the Farm for Profit podcast that you guys interviewed Elizabeth Byrne-Thompson to talk about the carbon pipeline that they were working on, but Summit Carbon Solutions on Monday submitted its final list of properties to seek eminent domain if landowners continue to oppose its pipeline plans. Now, I know those two pipelines are not related, but was there any interesting tidbits that came out of that conversation you could tease our listeners about? Well, I'll tell you what, the conversation that we had with her was about 15 or 20 minutes, and we spent an hour and a half, over an hour and a half with Elizabeth 
and don't feel like we covered everything that a listener could know about that topic. Uh, it is certainly a point that it seems like all of these pipelines have is to not exercise eminent domain, but also there is a profitability focus on making sure that they go with the most efficient and sensible and safe route possible with this pipeline. So if there are landowners that are directly in the path of most common sense for all three of those categories, safety, uh, obviously financial and efficiency, um, that they may have to utilize that. And of course, that's the biggest area of controversy around these items is what is that value to be determined? So no, a lot of great things in that conversation. Uh, I would say probably to those that are landowners, the biggest piece is near the end of the conversation where we talk about how you get compensated. That is, I think, still a big question too. And Tanner, correct me if I'm wrong, but I felt like at the uh, breakfast that we went to sponsored by Rastetter, that they said they did not want to use eminent domain. And now here we are. Right. And I, I think that is the the overarching original thought in all these projects is to be able to clearly dictate your message to where you do not have to exercise force. And I would say that's probably a lot of the way things are done, including politics, that we don't want to use force if everything can be figured out in a conversation or negotiation. But we all know there's some individuals that if this project makes sense and is, de- is deemed by a large majority to make sense, um, that that method is used to continue the project forward without stopping it because of a few bad actors. That's good insight, Tanner. But uh, that is all the insight I have for today's Ag News. What about you? Just one small last piece, uh, an article here, DTN, not necessarily new news, but just interesting news that more meat companies and those small meat locker producers are relying on direct to consumer sales and are getting more aids thrown their direction. We've reported a lot on the state level grants and loan systems that help people. But now there's a program specifically focused on meat vending machines. So McLean Beef out of York, Nebraska sells a wide range of meat cuts and hamburger products through their vending machines that are accessible 24 hours a day. And they're seeing this as a positive trend for all meat companies and meat markets as such. So now, as starting with the Nebraska Governor's Ag and Economic Development Summit last week, a panel of small meat producers expanded the idea and their knowledge of meat sales through vending machines. So it'll be interesting to watch that, Delaney, as we see these local meat producers have funding available. It has been dictated, according to this article, that the process is fairly cumbersome to receive that funding. But it is an entryway to provide meat service 24-7 to your clients and potentially keep and save small businesses throughout the Midwest. That's certainly some interesting innovation, Tanner. Absolutely. So what do the markets look like today for our listeners? Well, they're still ugly in the overnight, Tanner, as we head into the opening session here. Dece new crop corn down seven cents at six twenty one. New crop soybeans down about fourteen and a half cents at thirteen ninety seven. Chicago September wheat down ten and a half cents at seven ninety. So I think it's pretty safe to say we've given up pretty much all of last week's gains at this point. But of course, markets could open up a little bit differently and see where they trade heading into uh, you know the midst of the day. Will they trade that slight? 
offset in crop conditions numbers. Uh, maybe, but I think the bigger story is, like you said earlier in the podcast, Tanner, there are cooler temperatures in the forecast this week, which should be helpful for quite a few crops as they continue to fill out. In the cattle complex, we are also seeing red this morning. October live cattle down 70 cents at a buck 43.80. September feeders at 37, down 37 and a half cents at a buck 83. And lean hogs are higher on the morning up 55 cents, trading right around a hundred dollars in the October lean hog contract. There you go. And I had an article pulled up, didn't necessarily discuss it. it. We are also seeing crude prices continuing to slide this morning based upon the China's economic factors that uh, looks like it is stalling due to the reduction in rates. So another market that is not heading in positive direction. But let's jump into our conversation for today. Absolutely, Tanner. We are chatting today. It's a slightly related technology conversation, talking about some new technology or new ideas coming to the beef industry from Cattlemen's Heritage. Well, folks, I'm really excited about today's conversation because as we talk about innovation in the ag industry, we're talking specifically about innovation and ways of doing things differently in the beef industry. Chatting today with Chad Tenninger, who is the managing partner and lead developer of Cattlemen's Heritage. Chad, thank you so much for joining us today. Really excited to learn more. Thanks for having me on. So, Chad, before we dig into the new announcement you guys released a couple of weeks ago about shackle space for beef producers, let's talk a little bit about the history of Cattlemen's Heritage Beef Company. Yeah, so Cattlemen's Heritage really started as a concept probably about four years ago as uh, I'm a lifelong farmer myself, cattle producer, fourth generation, been in it my entire life, uh, grew up in it. And over all these years, we've just really saw that, um, you know, we do all the work on the farms. We, we try and get everything right. And too many times we don't get paid. Uh, you know, quite frankly, we lose money more often than we should. Obviously, everybody in the business knows that. But it really started a few years back. We started looking at the capacity. You know, when the cattle herd is at its highest, which a few years ago it was, and, you know, in that 10-year cycle, that we in the Northwest – up in the Midwest, you know, in that region, we do not have enough capacity. We simply do not have enough space to get the cattle through. And then what we saw when we had a fire, um, we had some Russian hacking, we had, you know, just problems in the big plants that really exasperated the fact that we don't have enough capacity and any hiccup sends the industry into a spiral where we cannot get our cattle through. And there's where we are going to get paid great value for our cattle when they can't get the cattle through the plants. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of producers that I've talked to lately are looking for is a way to secure the value of their cattle and secure their profits. So what makes Cattlemen's Heritage a little bit different than other processing plants and companies around the country that allows producers to have that security? So again, we started as a capacity play about four years ago. We knew we needed capacity. Um, we started at 500 head that didn't really pencil out. We went to a thousand that really didn't make a lot of sense at 1500. It made a lot of sense and it functioned well. And then as this evolved with all the problems we've seen the last couple of years, it evolved into, you know, design most technologically advanced plant that'll ever be built in North America. 
Um, we took the leading technology that has been used in Europe and New Zealand for 15 years and we're incorporating it. What that does for us is makes our efficiencies at a plant level extremely high, uh, less employees doing more work, easier work, but the equipment does the work for us. But through those efficiencies, we have created a program that will easily allow us to pass those savings on to the producer. So Cattlemen's Heritage at its core is the thought of it's a partnership with the producer. We don't want to be just another packer. We don't want to behave like the packers of the past half. Um, I think the system's a little broken right now. We sell our cattle based on a, on a price set by the Chicago Board of Trade that more times than not does not reflect what's going on in real time. So one of the things that Cattlemen's Heritage has done, we're going to set our pricing grid off of the box beef cutout which really shows true value of product in real time. And it doesn't have the violent ups and downs that the, the Chicago Board of Trade does. So through that process, leveling the playing field and making sure that when the plant makes money, which they typically do, that the producers make money along with us. So we can make sure that we have a strong family farm um, partnership, long-term supply chain that's healthy and will be here for a long time. And so let's dig into that a little bit more because you guys are, like you said, not doing it like the big four have previously done it. And I, I'm guessing that COVID really kind of amplified the model that you guys have moved towards here, which is where producers can guarantee shackle space. Before we talk about how you go about doing that, for those of our listeners who are not in the livestock industry, Chad, what is shackle space? Shackle space just represents one space for one animal to go through the plant. So our plant will process 530,000 cattle a year, and we will be selling 450,000 of those spaces to the producers. We're really targeting family farms. Uh, you know, those guys that are feeding 500,000 head of cattle a year, you know, especially when cattle get backed up and things happen, they're, they're, they're usually get the worst deal. Um, so what we really want to do is target family farms and give them that option and that opportunity to get their cattle to market on a guaranteed timeline with a guaranteed space at a great value. And so tell us what the program is like to go about doing it. Producers will pay a deposit for each shackle. And then what happens from there? So once when we sign a contract with a producer that they want to bring their cattle in, and, and I'll just say it's 200 shackles today. If somebody wanted to buy 200 shackles, we would sign an agreement that day. They would put $50 down per shackle that day. And then when we start construction, another $200 will be due. So each shackle will cost $250. That will be a 10-year program that they will deliver on that shackle 10 times. They will receive a $50 premium every time they deliver. So in the course of 10 years, they double their money, which is a pretty great return already. But more importantly than that is it will give them access to a grid that is tied to the box beef cutout that is more favorable to them. You know, everybody knows that large, the South model, I guess I would call it, you know, have large feedlots that have deals with certain packing plants to guarantee the cattle to go through. And they're just better deals that uh, have better profits in them. And they make sense. Well, here in Iowa, we have the most independent family farms of any state and we don't access programs like this. So what this shackle space does at its core is give every farmer that's involved in it the marketing power of being part of a 450,000 head feedlot. 
because that's how we view it. Once you own the shackles, you're part of that group. You still own your cattle. You do whatever you want in this program, basically. We just want high-quality cattle, the kind of cattle you're feeding already. And, you know, their guarantee is that those cattle are coming to our plant. Our guarantee is that you will get paid um, better than market average for those cattle and that you will be guaranteed a timely spot to deliver those cattle. I think that what you're saying here is really going to appeal to a lot of our listeners and a lot of livestock producers in general, especially from my neck of the woods, because like you said, in Texas, cactus is king. Like there's no way you're getting shackle space over them. So this model is really interesting to me. And I wonder, are there any big giants in Iowa that you're having to fight the urge to create a special deal with to help your profits go up? No, you know, not today. We're not looking at that. I mean, frankly, we're open to anybody that wants to buy shackle, but we're encouraging the smaller family farms. I mean, really everybody should in their operation should take a good hard look at this. I've never seen anything like this in my life. Um, we put it together with the passion of the family farm to create a long-term sustainable supply chain of high quality cattle. You know, to date, it's been a, received very well. There is a lot of interest in it. And, you know, what we're trying to do is just get the right amount of information out there. So everybody understands that, you know, the access to a timely delivery, but just as important access to a fair market. If we look at the last 30 days, so this week, the cattle market did bounce back nicely for the producer. But if you go back about 30 days, we were selling cattle at a pretty good level. And then over the course of three weeks, the, the cattle market dropped $8 a hundred. Well, if you look in that same time frame, the box beef cutout stayed the exact same. It actually went up just a little bit in those 30 days. And on the farm, we got paid $8 a hundred less. Our model doesn't do that. That doesn't make any sense to us whatsoever. Whatever we were paying those 30 days earlier, we'd have still been paying through that entire time. If the box beef cutout stays the same price, the plant is paying the same for the product. It's still selling it at the same level. There's no reason to, to I guess, cheat the farmer out of $8 a hundred for just, I don't understand why we allow that to happen year in and year out. There's a better way. Absolutely. And it sounds like that's what you guys are working on addressing. But Chad, as far as this Shackle Space program, where is it at? Is it available for producers to sign up for? Yeah, so we have a website set up at cattlemansheritage.com uh, backslash shackle space. We also have an email, shackle at cattlemansheritage.com. Um, there's also a phone number, and that is 712-229-8141. But, you know, if there, simple Google search in Cattlemans Heritage or TenCorp, which is another company that we run, will give you all the information just to contact any one of us um, to get more information on this. Fantastic, Chad. Well, we certainly appreciate your time today. Interesting stuff that you guys are doing over there. And we will be excited to talk with you again in the future as that continues to develop. Thank you very much. Well, Tanner, it sounds like really, you know, their innovation was caused a lot by or largely by producers not having guaranteed space during COVID. I could see that drawing a lot of attention, obviously, during that time period, but will benefit our listeners for a long time into the future. You guys did a good job on that interview. Thanks for stepping in and doing that. Yeah, I thought that one was a really good one there. Just 
really neat to see some new folks taking ideas to the beef industry as I think a lot are continuing to try and fight consolidation like we saw happen in the swine industry. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll just be another fun one for us to keep our pulse on so our listeners can stay up to date on what is available. But I'd say for this Tech Tuesday, I think that's about it to wrap it up. What do you say, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. 